This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Brought to you by Corrigin Max Insecticide from FMC, the three times more concentrated formulation that more sustainably delivers all the power of the Corrigin insecticide you know and trust. See your local retailer today. Hi, my name is Derek Luce, and I'm the editor for Top Crop Manager West. And on this episode of Inputs, we're joined by James Tanzi, an entomologist with the government of Saskatchewan, as well as Rachel Evans, technical sales manager for the Eastern Prairies with FMC Canada. Today, James is going to talk to us about grasshopper control in Western Canada, and we'll also hear from Rachel about what farmers should expect when using FMC's pest management products. Welcome to the podcast, James and Rachel. Hi there. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. Well, let's get right into it. Let's uh, start off with the first question for you, James, and we're going to talk about the past situation 2022 and then the current situation coming up in 2023. So where were some of the largest hit regions in Western Canada for grasshoppers in 2022? And what were the weather conditions that contributed to their high numbers? You bet. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe for a bit of background, uh, for context, uh, SEIC actually does a formal uh, grasshopper survey for the uh, for the Ministry of Agriculture. And uh, so they're they're looking at approximately 1,400 plus sites across the province. And from uh, from these data, um, we map these data and uh, forward them on a ministry web uh, webpage and forward these to the Prairie Press Monitoring Network as well. Uh, these data indicated that populations were highest in central regions and southern regions. And uh, this corresponded to uh, some of the weather conditions that we saw in the previous year. Now, to that, how how this can influence this year's populations, and I, and I should indicate that uh, the weather conditions that we're looking at are primarily associated with July and August, and that is egg laying season for, for the pest species of grasshoppers. And they like it warm, and they like it dry. Uh, so the warm conditions are essential for them to speed through their development. Also helps with their survival, as do uh, as do dry conditions. They are prone to bacterial and uh, and some pretty significant fungal infections, and these are promoted by uh, uh, high humidity and uh, and uh, relatively cooler conditions. So, because of that, things of course were warm and dry in July and August in central and southern regions of the province. These conditions, coupled with high populations of grasshoppers, and that bad boy could meet girl, beautiful music plays, eggs go into the ground. That contributes to our concerns for this year's populations. Yeah, we're certainly seeing some, uh, I know in Alberta, where I'm located, there's a lot of forest fires and, and wildfires going on in uh, in northern Alberta. So, so far, it's been quite hot and dry. So you're kind of seeing that coming in 2023. And are there any specific regions where you can pinpoint for 2023 that might see really high numbers? Are they similar to 2022? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking yes. I mean, we are seeing, you know, warm, dry conditions in, in, in the bulk of the province. Uh, and of course, we're, we're seeing the, uh, the forest fire issues in northern Saskatchewan as well. But for, for agricultural producing regions, yeah, it's been pretty dry this spring. That with, uh, you know, the opposition or the egg laying that happened last year, so central and southern regions, I think once again, we're looking at uh, at uh, those conditions being favorable for favorable for grasshoppers. 
Perfect. So let's move on to different species of grasshoppers. Can you tell some of our listeners uh, what species of grasshopper are the most challenging to deal with and what are the crops that they impact most? Yeah, so the, I mean, uh, I'll try to be as brief as I can, but uh, long and short of it, and I don't know the, that that, that uh, most people appreciate this, but we actually do have about 85 species of grasshoppers in uh, across the prairies. The vast majority of these are not pests. So we're dealing primarily with four species all of these species overwinter as eggs. So this means that if you see an animal with wings in the spring, it's not a pest. Although they can be numerous, they're typically not damaging to uh, uh, agricultural production. The ones that we're really concerned with are those four. And again, they all overwinter as, uh, overwinter as eggs. So they're going to be, be emerging as nymphs in, you know, in the next very short period of time, mid-May to early June. So running through the list, we're dealing with clearwing grasshopper. This one is primarily a cereal pest. It's a grass specialist, uh, can be devastating in, uh, in cereal crops. Uh, the next one that we're, we're looking at and the most numerous, uh, pest grasshopper in, uh, in Saskatchewan is the uh, two stripe grasshopper. This one is a little bit more of an omnivore. Um, it does prefer broadleaf plants, but it will feed on cereals. Uh, it seems to have less of a predilection for oats uh, and less of a predilection for uh, oats and peas less palatable than some of the other crops that, that, that might be available to them. Another one is Packard's grasshopper, and both two-stripe and Packard's are relatively large animals. So, you know, but the females are about the size of a, of a, of a man's pinky. Um, so these, uh, these girls are big, they can get a lot of eggs into the ground and they can do a lot of damage. Packards tends to prefer legumes. And finally, we have what is actually a, a species complex. So a lesser migratory grasshopper, uh, is actually a complex of three related species, you know, almost indistinguishable to, to, to look at them. And these ones have a, have a very broad host range. So very little is off the menu for these animals, including other dead insects. Uh, dung. Um, when push comes to shove, there's very little these uh, these grasshoppers won't eat. Excellent. And you touched upon egg development there in your in your answer. So can you can you share with us some of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to egg development and their susceptibility and dealing with grasshopper populations and the impact that they have on crops? Well, I don't I don't know that there are misconceptions associated with it, but I think there are considerations that need to be taken into account. And as I mentioned before, um, a lot of these are associated with temperature. So Ag Canada does an excellent job of building models based on lesser migratory grasshopper development. And the development uh, of, of these animals is, is all determined by temperature. So they are ectotherms. Temperature is fundamental to, to, the, to their development and, and their behavior, frankly. So uh, they do an excellent job of modeling uh, the development of lesser migratory grasshopper and you can get an estimate of the emergence of nymphs and how these animals are speeding through their development looking at these uh, looking at these models so uh, i would encourage people to check out the prairie pest monitoring network website to look at these models where they're posted perfect and moving on to integrated pest management approaches can you give us a little bit of a rundown on what the ideal ipm looks like for farmers for cultural and insecticide use, as well as when to employ single versus multi-modes of action. Yeah, uh, boy, that's uh, yeah, that's a mouthful. <laughs> so uh, we, we can we can address cultural first. I mean, you know, I did mention they they do have differences in their host preferences. So if if you're in a region that's dominated by, say, clear wing, you, you know, it might behoove uh, behoove a grower to 
to look at planting some non-host crops or some less preferred crops, you know, similar for the other species and, and you know, based on their, based on their host references that I mentioned. Some cultural control strategies that, ha- that have been uh, investigated in the past and demonstrated to be relatively effective. So uh, obviously crop rotation, as I mentioned before, you know, my, uh, rotating away from a preferred crop species, depending on what grasshopper species you're dealing with. Strips and barriers have also been demonstrated to be effective. Uh, so that is leaving a uh, leaving a, a, a 10 meter strip of green if a grower is going to be uh, engaged in tillage uh, and, and possibly even weed control. Uh, so as to concentrate those young grasshoppers as they emerge and and as they concentrate that limits the area that needs to be uh, needs to be hit with insecticide. Weed control is 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 also very important and there's and there is the possibility either through tillage or weed control to actually starve the young grasshoppers out. Um, if there's little else to eat, these first instar nymphs or these these hatchlings are going to come up and they require food and they don't move very far. So if if they're you know field edges or or regions where they where they're you know where where the eggs are are are, are hatching are uh, are uh, rich with young grasshoppers and there's no food there's a there is a possibility to starve them out once they hit that first molt though uh they they, they become pretty mobile so once they're once they're second in star for chemical control and uh, and I suspect this is going to be a year for chemical control of grasshoppers there are a broad assortment of chemistries that are registered for grasshopper control. Your choice of different chemistries can vary depending on uh, on which life stage you're presented. And the example that I'll present is, uh, you know, for you know, for, for example, if you're dealing with young grasshoppers, so that is third instar or younger, group three or synthetic pyrethroid insecticides can be very effective. Uh, where these are less effective is for larger grasshoppers. So when you're dealing with mature nymphs or adults, those group threes are going to be less effective. They're also hindered by high temperatures. So your 25C or higher, you're not going to get the efficacy that you're hoping for with these uh, with these insecticides and or you're, you're dealing with mature grasshoppers. Uh, malathion is, uh, is also available for, uh, for grasshopper control in, in some crops. And this one uh, is actually, uh, uh, its efficacy actually increases past about 20 degrees Celsius. And this is dictated in large part by, by the physiological re- uh, responses of these grasshoppers. So their ph- physiology ramps up, their you know, the toxicity of this particular insecticide increases. Of course, the group 28s, the diamides are, are very effective for grasshoppers. So, I mean, that's always my recommendation. If a grower is, uh, is uh, dealing with, uh, with mature grasshoppers, to, uh, to hit them with a group 28. Uh, or a diamide. Uh, for younger grasshoppers, it, it's also effective and, and, and a reduced rate can be used in that case. But again, there are large numbers of, uh, of products registered for the control of these animals. Perfect. And every grower obviously has their own individual uh, needs that they need to uh, employ to control grasshoppers. But when it comes to integrated pest management, how can farming communities and neighbors work together to help control grasshopper populations? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and and it hasn't it hasn't been uh, investigated in a really rigorous manner in, on the prairies. But uh, there are other examples of insect control on a regional scale, uh, particularly uh, in the United States. And, and and you know so, some of these lessons can be applied to to grasshoppers, I think. And that is neighbors talking to neighbors. You know, if they're if they're dealing with a damaging but potentially damaging population of grasshoppers to coordinate with their neighbors to, you know, conduct a regional spray. So once they get to be mobile, 
one person isn't controlling their grasshoppers only to have the neighbor's grasshoppers wash over and coordinated approach like that can be taken. I know we definitely saw lots of that happening in parts of Manitoba and Saskatchewan when you think about later in the season and and um, cereal crops getting combined um, earlier than some of the pulse crops and so you would have essentially fields that were out your pulse crops you know still relatively green and so hearing lots of accounts of grasshoppers moving out of those combine fields into these, you know, fields that were kind of left out there. So I think having an idea of, you know, when cereal crops are getting harvested, but also, you know, forage lands getting hayed, that type of thing, that's going to, I think, sometimes um, prompt grasshoppers to get on the move again and, and look for some new grazing land, <laughs> as it yeah. were. No, and an important consideration too is, is yeah, I mean, when we're talking about lesser migratory in particular, they can move huge uh, huge distances. Yeah, I mean, even even as nymphs, they can move ten kilometers a day. They're they're happy to walk long distances to to find new food. And once they you know once they take to the air, then then many kilometers can be covered a day. Uh, I'd like to add too is uh, is uh, choice of insecticidal mode of action and preservation of natural enemies is an important consideration as well. I think that's where the group 28s or the diamides stand out a little bit. You know, you've got some selectivity and a lot of this, this is associated with, with the physiology of the animals. I mean, there's differences in what's called the ryanodyne receptors amongst different groups of animals. So grasshoppers, particularly sensitive, uh, the leps, so, you know, uh, uh, caterpillars, particularly sensitive, but pollinators like bees, there's enough difference in that receptor where whether whether uh, uh, that that mode of action is considerably less toxic to them. Perfect. Thanks a lot for that. And Rachel, I'm actually going to move over to you for the next question for a little product feature from FMC. Can you tell me what growers can expect when using your product for grasshopper control when it comes to the time they should be applying the product and what results they can expect to see? Yeah, thanks, Derek. And um, James, I think that was a great segue just talking about the, you know, the, the ryanodine receptors in the lepidopter order. So, you know, things that are chewing insects is really where a product like Corrigen Max is, is quite selective to. And so that's the, you know, some of the properties that allow it to have minimal impact to beneficials and pollinators when they used according to the label. So, that's definitely one of the features I think that, you know, growers and agronomists have learned to appreciate with Corrigin Max is the fact that it is so selective. And so we can, you know, make sure that we're causing the least amount of damage possible to the beneficials that are out in the field. In terms of using it, Corrigin, I think one of the other features um, that farmers will appreciate with it is that it does have an extended period of control. And so depending on the rate that's used, um, as well as the crop growth stage and environmental conditions, you can get anywhere from seven to 14 days of extended control with this product. And so when you're thinking about a, uh, a pest like grasshoppers that's on the move, literally, this product allows you to, you know, protect your field from that pest and, and as it's entering in. So that's definitely a, a very attractive um, benefit with this product. In terms of, you know, rate range and, and what to expect, there is a, a rate range on the Corrigin Max label. So I encourage uh, folks to check out our FMC product guide, but it is 120 to 60 acres per two liter jug. And, you know, why you might choose one rate over another really depends on the pressure that you're seeing in the field, the size of the grasshopper. And again, back to that 
period of extended control. And so, you know, the higher the pressure, the larger the grasshopper in star stage and the, you know, it's probably where we would lean folks into some of those higher rate ranges just so that we can, you know, get the, the highest level of control out of it. So in that sweet spot of 80 acres a jug is kind of where I like to lean farmers just because I think it, for the price point, it, it tends to sort of narrow them into a great optimum sort of range there uh, for targeting that third to fourth instar stage. And of course, at that stage, you know, we like to wait until that point just because then we can sort of be sure that those grasshoppers are uh, majority of, of them anyways have been uh, hatched. The last thing to cover here is aside from those features and benefits in the rate range is just around what to expect. And that's probably where I get the most questions because Corrigin Max is different than um, some of the other insecticide modes of action out there in that because it's actually an ingestion-based product, it means that the grasshoppers have to take a couple bites of that treated plant tissue in order to get the product into their systems, where then their, their feeding stops because they're having muscle paralysis in their chewing mouth parts. However, there can be a lag between feeding stopping or feeding cessation and when that grasshopper actually dies. And so what you can look for when you're out scouting the field are grasshoppers that are um, easy to catch. They might be, you know, not moving around as much. If you are able to catch them, you can open up your hand and usually they won't hop away. Those are some signs and symptoms that we would point to, to say, yep, that grasshopper is slowly meeting its, its demise, but that, that time might, might take a few days, depending on how big that pest is. Perfect. Thanks a lot. That's a great overview, Rachel. James, is there anything else you'd like to add that you think is important for people to know about grasshoppers this upcoming season? Absolutely. I, I mean, there, there are three major points. Uh, only use registered products. And, uh, you know, the, the product needs to be registered for that pest in that crop. And that way you will get efficacy and uh, not run into uh, any potential issues. Another uh, thing that we didn't discuss and should be, uh, should be uh, addressed as part of integrated pest man management is the use of thresholds. And there are different thresholds in different crops. So if you're looking at flax in bowl or lentils, uh, your threshold is two per square meter. If you're looking at other crops, it's typically eight to 10 per square meter. If you're looking at canola or soybean and they're not actually munching on the pods, you can tolerate up to about 15 per square meter. So both, both of those crops can take a lot of foliar damage uh, before they suffer economic, uh, economic issues. So if they are actually munching on the pods, so that's, that's, that's another consideration. Finally, assessing populations. And this, this is a, a question that I get all the time is, is there a way to do it without visual assessment? Because the, the visual assessment is relatively labor heavy. What you would do is, is do sequential sampling in a field, walking from point to point and do a visual assessment, stirring them up with your feet to determine the, determine the numbers per square meter. So that is within your field of view. It is possible to get an equivalent value with sweeps. And this depends on the height of your crop. So, I mean, if you're dealing with a relatively low crop and you're sampling for Smaller grasshoppers, your tolerance for, for those animals is going to be greater. Obviously, you're, they're, they're feeding a whole lot less. But sweep in a, a, in a pendulum manner, but still cover 180 degrees. Repeat that four times, and that will give you a per square meter uh, um, evaluation. That's comparable to your visual assessment. If the crop gets higher, of course, 
180-degree sweeps at the top of the crop. Um, of course, if you're dealing with mature canola or you know some other mature crops, canola in particular, uh, getting a 180-degree sweep through that can be pretty exhausting. So look forward to a nice core workout. Fantastic. That was a lot of great information on how to manage grasshopper populations in Western Canada that I'm sure will be very helpful to our listeners. Thank you very much for your expertise, James and Rachel. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Brought to you by Corrigin Max Insecticide from FMC. When you need to protect your crop from damaging insects, Corrigin Max delivers fast, extended control of grasshoppers, diamondback moths, Bertha armyworms, cutworms, and more. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.